Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Froth here with the Thought Eater Podcast and Blog. I hope you're doing well. Um, happy Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Uh, you know, Wednesday, it's the Hump Day Bloggerama show. And if, if you've never checked this out before, the basic idea is I spend all week following along hundreds of RPG blogs, pick out some stuff I think might be interesting to talk about, uh, kind of point people to it here. And then over at the Thought Eater blog, I put up all the links that I discuss. So Thought Eater blog, easiest way to find it is just Google Thought Eater blog, or you can go to frothsoft, frothsofdnd.blogspot.com. Hopefully you're bookmarking it. Hopefully you're adding me to your blog role, but um, everything I talk about, you can find quick and easy over there. Got a ton of show to get to, so I'm not going to do you know too much of an intro right now because I got a bunch of call-ins, as you might expect, uh, the font from the a lot of, on on the final topic from last week and otherwise. So if you didn't listen to last week's show or check it out, if you want to hop over to the Thought Eater blog and at least read that last post uh, from Jack Shear's uh, blog. Um, on uh, basically this kind of debate over uh, you know free products and and whether they're they're bad for the hobby and this kind of thing, I rambled about it for about a half an hour, <laughs> but uh, I got I got some uh, some good feedback here, some interesting perspectives that I think are valuable and I definitely want to listen to. So let's check that out. We'll get right to it. Hey Froth, this is taking me a few takes, man. I I can't really. Uh... I can't really get down a good message. I hope you're feeling better. Summarise, I'm glad I, I'm glad I don't do Twitter. I think these hot takes and that seem kind of kind of rude and I think I'll just get agitated, so it's it's best if I leave all that stuff alone. People have given me that advice in fact. But listen, I think you put a, a really interesting discussion together there. I like the way you try to kind of uh, see the different viewpoints and half an hour I can't believe that was half an hour that whizzed by and yeah I, I spend a load a load of cash on RPG stuff and like yourself I've definitely spent more because I've picked up something for free Lamentations would be the uh, f- first and most recent example of Hi Froth, it's Goblin Senchman here. I'm just ringing in about the most recent editorial on Bloggerama, the one about um, valuing your own work. Um, so recently I changed all my stuff on drive-through from um, absolutely free to pay what you want. And I did this for a number of reasons, and none of them were to get rich. First is actually simply a metrics reason. Uh, drive-through doesn't promote works that are absolutely free because it doesn't make them money. Whereas a few bucks here and there really really drives you up on the um, up on their their promotional ratings. Um, the second is if someone gives you a buck, then you know they value your work. It's not just one of a number of um, downloads on their hard drive that they they don't like or need or use. And so that tells me I'm doing something people want, which is good. And finally, I, I view it as a sort of barter system. Um, that that money is not leaving the RPG system. If you give me a buck, then I'm spending on a patron or a new new product. So. It's all, all good. All right, cheers, fella. Hey, Froth. This is James Richards. Just finished up last week's Hump Day Blogorama. I'm a little behind. Loving those editorials, man. Keep them coming. On that note, you know, people are always going to be concerned or complaining about uh, other people ruining 
their thing and it's just a lot of noise you know uh, it is born out of frustration and uh, and uh, disappointment and pain maybe but you know this whole call-out culture of we need to correct their mindset or we need to do yada yada you know, I can't relate to that aspect of it uh, so there are good free products there are good pay products they're bad on both sides as well just a message to everybody out there just keep doing what you're doing hey froth it's Arlen Walker live from Pelham's Wasteland um, I think I saw many of the tweets that you were talking about um, live when they were on Twitter just you know in the RPG sphere it shows up um, and I, you know, I really do sympathize with people that want to make a career out of RPG stuff. But I actually think that that, that um, one of, I think it was the first tweet that you read out that said that the biggest problem was not Wizards of the Coast and D&D's market proliferation, but was people charging pay what you want or nothing for their products. I think that is just about the opposite. I think the only way people are going to get rich making RPGs is right now it's either work for Wizards of the Coast or hope that your indie game just kind of magically takes off against all odds. And, and really, I think what is going to allow for people to turn it into a living is when the the 5e bubble starts to turn into all of the other games that are available you know hopefully at some point a lot of these players that have been brought in for 5e because it's huge will start to move towards other games other genres will want to try out the indie stuff you know i browse um reddit rlfg a lot and everything is 5e everybody wants to play 5e there's a tiny bit of Pathfinder or 3.5. And then there's, you know, one out of every 20 posts is some indie game that doesn't get any response at all. And I think, you know, honestly, I think kind of foolish if you don't think that Wizards of the Coast is the, the big... Uh, something happened to my response on Anchor. But what I was saying was that really, you know, Price fixing is not the way to uh, respond to this. And I really sympathize. I hope people can make it as full-time RPG designers and adventure writers and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's just absurd to imagine the idea that the the enemy, the opponent, the one who is making it harder for them to succeed is the little guy publishing their zine on drive-thru RPG for pay what you want. That's that's just ridiculous. Um, and like I said, I really do sympathize. I, I hope I would never try to make tabletop RPGs my full-time thing unless I worked for somebody like Wizards of the Coast where I knew that it was basically a, a regular corporate job that just happened to be in tabletop RPGs. But, well, anyway, I think there's sort of a good message kind of buried in there that you creators ought to have the self-confidence to charge for their work. Um, not that they have to, but that 
it's uh, something that can feel daunting to to ask for money, especially if you're not doing it professionally and you don't need the money. Um, and I think that that actually is kind of a good message to say that, you know, if you feel like it's worth something, you should charge for it. But I think Twitter, for one thing, Twitter is just awful for nuanced discussion. And it's for some reason really cool to make blanket imperative statements. I see them all the time on Twitter. Um, yeah, I, you know, the guys charging pay what you want prices on drive through RPG are not the ones who are making it impossible to make a. So you heard a little bit of the magic of the anchor voice message system during those last ones. It limits you to a minute, but you can, uh, you know, you can do what's called lovingly called, pulling a Jackson and, and, and leave multiple messages, but you still, each one's a, a minute long. So you kind of get cut off a little bit, but you got the idea there. And I, first of all, appreciate all y'all's calls. Thank you very much. Very valuable. Loved hearing the different perspectives and everything. And I don't really disagree with anything anybody said, to be honest. I don't have too much to add. I already kind of said my piece a little bit, but some of the things that got brought up a little bit, I think, um, you know, look, if you're going to look at wizards as the enemy, you know, or D and D as the enemy, you know, they're an enemy that's been around a long time because they've, they've been running the show for 45 years. You know, I think, uh, you know, white wolf challenged them for maybe a couple of years with a, like a vampire fad. And then, uh, you know, Paizo, uh, when four E was discontinued, had a couple of quarters, you know, but you know, Pathfinder, that's just D and D. So it's, it's the same old thing, you know, role-playing to most people, the average person is D and D. It's just the way it is. My mom's heard of D and D. She's never heard of you know, Numenera, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's being mad, you know, looking at D and D as your big, you know, the big bad or some kind of, you know, it's kind of like a, a small little, you know, boutique pickle, pickle shop, you know, here in Athens, Georgia saying, you know, you know who we're going to go after? Vlasic. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's ridiculous. You're really fighting for scraps left over for D&D, unless you're making D&D compatible products. And you just need to accept that. I mean, you just need to accept that. And so when they put out these numbers, the ICV2 numbers or whatever, I know it doesn't cover everything. You know, the whole year last year, you know, North America, whatever, America, you know, United States and Canada, it's like $65 million. And I know that doesn't cover every sale, but you know, probably 50 million of that. And I'm lowballing it. 50 million was, was D and D or D and D related. Actually probably, you know, maybe 58, you know, so there's a, a, a tiny bit. It's not that much money for, you know, and, and, and a lot of people don't even buy, you know, people in my group, they don't buy the books. It's just like, I'm like the one with the book, you know, I think there's way more people playing than are buying the books, you know? And so I saw somebody putting up for, you know, Hey, does anybody know anybody hiring a full-time writer for, for games? And it was like, sorry to break it to you. It doesn't exist. Every post was like, yeah, that's not a thing. You know, there's like five people that do that for a living. There's no full-time game writers. People have a, a, convoluted idea of what the market is for RPGs because they're popular and because they love them. They imagine it's just pot of money. It's just not. And the other thing, you know, I, I saw some people posting, look at this. It's amazing. You know, Matt Colville is offering 
25 cents a word to write, you know, 4,000, you know, whatever, 7,000 words, you know, or it's 8,000 words. So it's like, you know, you stand to make a $2,000 payday for that job. It's like, okay, what, what happens after that job? (laughs) $2,000 after taxes. And people were acting like that was a pot of gold, you know? It's like, what about after that? You know, what about, you're talking about, you know, what, third, you know, depending on how old you are, 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, $2,000 to to write something. I mean, for that to be like, I don't know, anything remarkable to me, it almost broke my heart, to be honest with you. It broke my heart to see people treat that, think that was like making it. And then you got these, uh, and Arlen touched on this. You know, even these games that get kickstarted and have success, who's playing them? I don't see them getting played. I'm looking for pickup games all the time, y'all, all the time, because I'll have a random day off or whatever. I want to jump in on something, and all the 5e is filled, and then you can find your way into a Pathfinder, sometimes a Starfinder. Everything else, I don't see it getting played. I just don't. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple people playing it here and there, but... You know, some of these Kickstarters, they, you know, they look like they do well on paper. It's like a hundred thousand dollars. Whoa. And then it's like, okay, after Kickstarters cut, after the artist cut, after the printing, after, you know, you bought your stretch goals and then pay your taxes or whatever, who knows? You know, maybe it was an okay year. Maybe you net, call it 50,000 of those being generous. Say you net 50, great. You know, you had an average, you know, median income level year doing something you love. That's awesome. But how do you sustain that and keep it going? No one's playing, you know, you can't keep releasing a core book. TSR found out, you know, the splats, they sell out, you know, smaller and smaller amounts. So, uh, you even look at like uh, seventh C the whole John wick thing. It was like a record breaking Kickstarter, millions of dollars. You know, they hire staff and everything and they find out who the, who's playing seventh C nobody's playing seventh C I'd play it. I play it in a second. Where's the game? I don't see it. Nobody's playing it. Nobody's playing it. They're just not, you know? And I think I, I lot back a lot of Kickstarters and stuff in the games. I never see them get played. I back them because they look cool. But if I'm, if I'm going to play it, it looks like I'm going to be the one running it. And I know that nobody wants to hear this uh, that's trying to do it. Because when I was trying to make any music and my dad was telling me, you know, that your chances are slim to none, I didn't want to hear it. I'm not trying to shut down anybody's dream. Dream your dreams. Follow your dreams. Absolutely. But, you know, I think it's more realistic for people to look at, hey, if I can make, you know, another five grand a year and supplement my income doing something I love, make myself live more comfortable, that's, that's, that's the way to look at it. As far as full-time, I don't know. It's just... And then, then blaming, blaming free products. Yeah, no. And you know, I mean, you should know. I mean, look, this whole show's about blogs, which is just creative, free expression. People doing it to share. There's no other motivation. And, uh, and that's beautiful. And that's what makes the hobby. That's what circulates ideas and all this stuff. If everybody's trying to, you know, be these many, uh, CEOs and everything, it's just, uh, well, it's going to end badly <laughs> for some, <laughs> but I really appreciate y'all's call in, call in and, and perspective. So, but, uh, I've got some more call-ins we're going to get to real quick. Uh, Liren from updates from the middle of nowhere called in on some of the, the, the talk, uh, when I was 
responding to Colin's call last uh, week, uh, talking about my sweetie and just talking about parenting in general. I know there's not everyone that listens to this as a parent, but uh, this is related to what I was talking about, and and it's good stuff, so we're going to listen to that now. Hey, Froth. It's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. Oh my gosh, I could do a bazillion Jacksons on the subject of parenting. Wow. My youngest turned 18 this year, and oh, 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 you want to talk about feeling old. My oldest son will be 29 years old in July, and I have a six-year-old granddaughter. Like, how am I possibly old enough for all of that? It just happens, and all of a sudden you realize, whoa, 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 <laughs> it it all went by, and and I'm so grateful for any of the time that I spent gaming or having fun or playing with my children because as they get older it all becomes so much more serious and they gain all these interests that absolutely don't include their parents and shouldn't and it's easy enough to tell yourself well you know they're growing up it's okay this is the natural process but let me tell you (laughs) the hardest part is when They make a decision that you just, you know, is going to backfire. You know, it's going to make their life infinitely harder. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, you just have to watch. And I've been through a period where I didn't have a lot of contact with my older son because he moved to a different state and he was off doing his own thing. And the whole time I fretted and worried and aged myself I'm sure because I I I don't know how people aren't protective of their children and that doesn't just turn off when they turn 18 and sometimes I lay in bed at night and I just think what could I have done differently what could I have taught them that I didn't teach them how could I have been a better example and when I catch myself doing that I really try to just take a deep breath and realize I can burn all this energy on the past. Certainly, I could absorb myself in thoughts like that, but it doesn't matter. I can't change it. It's done. I know I did the best I could. I know I loved my kids so much, and I still love them dearly, but it's all a process of letting them go, and that just sucks. It does. My older son has moved back home to go to college for a couple years, and it's wonderful having him home, but but he's a grown man now, and it's so weird. And every time he does something that I cringe at, I have to remember, he has had almost a decade, well now, no, actually a decade, since he became a legal adult, of making his own choices, and making his own decisions, and He is the one who owns that, not me. I'll tell you, Spectrum, and you talk about the evil things in the world. I worry so much about how the world is going to smack him around because he is so tender-hearted and and he's so, I I don't know. I mean, I, I think of him as strong, but with his processing disorders, it just terrifies me. And, and I'll tell you the scariest part is when I'm gone, who will love him and care for him? Okay, I'm going to try not to cry in this comment, so this is the last one. Have a good one.
Lear, and I really appreciate you calling in and, and sharing that because I know that everybody with a child, uh, no matter whether they're newborn, whether they're, you know, rugrats or what, or teenagers or grown and out the door, there's something that everyone can um, either relate to or, you know, grow a, a sense of, of dread, you know, and, and anticipating it happening and, um, but I, you know, it's like you said, you, you, you do the best you can. I mean, there's no, there's a, there's a market out there for parenting books, but it's, it's a, it's all, uh, just seat of the pants most of the time. And I think that definitely the hardest thing for me is like what I, I won't be able to control and, and just, uh, you know, but so what's the alternative to have not 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 done it it's it's uh it's 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 worth it even you know through whatever challenges are ahead so thank you very much Liren, for that hey froth it's rich um domain play and birthright huh Never really thought about that. I guess I kind of always knew about it, but I'm always looking for a good domain system. And what I'm really looking for is not the player's turns, but the the NPC's turns. I want a way to randomize it. I don't want to pick every single turn, you know, what they're doing. I like to be surprised too. And it makes it uh, much more exciting if I've got a table of crap rather than thinking of my head. So uh, what do you think? Is there good um, NPC stuff in Birthright as well that I should be looking to as a DM? with a bunch of factions that just sit around with their thumb up their ass until I decide they do something? Let me know. Rich Frazier there from Cockatrice Nuggets, legendary anchorite. Um, yeah, well, I'd say kind of yeah and no. It's really um, kind of uh, gamist and mechanical, I guess, in a way, the way the system works, and it's really set up more for the players. That said... There are some kind of what they'll call like a domain move and um, also like domain spells and and things like that that you could maybe pick some of them to randomize that don't necessarily tie exactly in the PCs. Um, you know, if you go back and look at the, the blog, um, I put up the link to that 5e birthright conversion a couple weeks ago. You can get in there and look at some of the domain turns and moves and see if there's some kind of quick conversion you want to do to move some of those to where you can, you know, roll one randomly for what some NPC group or what some other domain or fiefdom or whatever does. But not really. It's not really exactly what you're looking for. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, anyway, that is the call-ins. Thank you, everyone, for calling in. Uh, and we are going to get on with the show now with the maps. All right, I'm glad I ate my Wheaties today because we got a big show. Uh, this is a big one. So, look, over at cubeofquasar.blogspot.com. All right, this is Jim Johnson's blog. Now, if Jim Johnson's name doesn't ring a bell, um, he, Jim has, long, for a long time, as one of the scribes of Sparn, been doing some of the best OSR um, work, um, you know, going back a long way. <laughs> oh my gosh, if I'm already this tongue-tied, it's going to be a trouble. But anyway, did the Planet Eris supplement, like for OD&D, you can download that for free. I've got the link up on the Thought Eater blog. 
Also has some awesome modules that you can buy over at Lulu under the Scribes of Sparn or search for Jim Johnson, Jim with two M's. Anyway, um, Jim put up a post about the planet Eris Gazetteer and World Map that was um, previewed at North Texas, um, the uh, North Texas RPG convention just uh, last weekend. Uh, more on that later as well. And um, it looks awesome. And if, so if you check out, if you haven't already, most people, I think if you've been involved in the old school scene for a while, hopefully you've checked out that Planet Eris thing and some of these modules that Jim's been involved in. But uh, this looks really cool. I put up a image of a hex map from uh, from the product, and it looks like it's going to be coming out October. I've, oh, I wish it was sooner. I, I posted a gem. I'm ready to buy it. So this looks really cool. And uh, like I said, uh, Jim Johnson, definitely one of those, you know, maybe uh, underrated OSR talents out there that should uh, be on the tip of everyone's tongue. I get into some other underrated OSR, you know, maybe unknown, um, you know, talents, or lesser known talents that, uh, that should be more well-known uh, later, uh, talking about the Merciless Merchants. But anyway, check out that Planet Eris House Rules booklet. Check out some of those Lulu adventures. They're outstanding. And then uh, have a look at this uh, preview for this Planet Eris Gazetteer and World Map over at Cube of Quasar. Then over at Wisted.net. It's the Past Peculiar blog, but it's W-I-S-T-E-D-T dot net. Past Peculiar blog. I put up a post. Uh, let's see who this is. Nicholas. Nicholas put up an awesome uh, map called Murder House, and they say it's a, it consists of a prison wing where the sacrificer sacrificer is capitalized. <laughs> the sacrificer keeps his unfortunate prisoners, and a murder wing again murder wing capitalized where they're offered as a sacrifice to the Dark Lord. So this looks like a place the PCs don't want to be. It's got a little pentagram there and uh, uh, some some shackles and stuff. So. Cool map, uh, could be a good hook, you know, the murder house for a, for, for a, a game, uh, a place for your PCs to run from, so go check that out over the Past Peculiar blog. And then I wanted to get into a little bit of um, this product, um, Roger Thorne from Anthrowick House Games sent this to me to check out, knowing that I like um, maps and stuff, and it's, Roger's blog is rthorm. Dot wordpress.com the Anthewick House Games blog. I've mentioned some of um, Roger's maps in the past on uh, on the Hump Day show. Sent me this product called the Planetary Logbook, uh, Planetary Display Logbook. It's up on DriveThru, and this is an interesting product. Now it 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 it's got like 32 different shapes that you that all make up a different sector of a planet. And it's got some die drop tables in there, but most of it is just breaking each of these shapes into segments. And it kind of shows in the corners, you know, what other shape, hex or, or pentagon or whatever shape that it corresponds to. So you can map out the surface of the world. And now I kind of rate stuff, whether Froth can understand it, because I know if I can understand it, just about anybody can get it. And it took me a minute to kind of get the hang of what I was looking at and everything. I would say that this is kind of, it's for, it, it, it's not for the, the froths of the world, I guess I would say. It's for maybe, not necessarily advanced cartographers, but, but people who are really wanting to spend some time 
to map out, you know, in detail a world or a planet. But I think for the right person that's into sci-fi and stuff, this would be really cool, especially if there's a print version. There's not a print version up yet. Right now it's just a PDF, but I can see someone having a print version of this and just spend time, I mean, even as a hobby, working on their world, working on the different sections and mapping it out. One thing that it would have benefited from is, is more tips on how to use it, which was which made it all the more helpful that I found a post, Planetary Logbook Moon, that I put up a link for at the Anthewick House Games blog, where Roger kind of shows how he superimposed some uh, moon images onto the different sector maps. And so you can see if you have the skills and, you know, and you can, you know, make transparent images and put them on this and everything, you can make a really, really awesome, you know, nice log book of your world and have something really special with notes and everything else. So anyway, I guess uh, it, it's really cool. It's just something that I'm not talented. <laughs> I'm not being hard on myself by saying this either. I'm probably not talented enough to utilize as, as well as some others might. But anyway, it's definitely uh, interesting and mapping related. I'd personally, if I was going to get it, I'd, I'd, I'd spring for the, the print it, if and when it comes out. Or just uh, maybe you know print some PDFs and have that because I think holding it in your hand would be the special way to deal with this. But very thankful for Roger for sending that to me and let me check that out. Like I say, uh, in some ways, if you're talented and in someone with talents hands, um, you can see what kind of coolness you could do with that over at the um, at the Anthewick House Games blog and see how Roger's utilizing it. Just going to bounce through a couple of reviews real quick. The, the real idea would be for you all to go over and read them if you're interested, but at terriblesorcery.blogspot.com, awesome title for this blog, My Terrible Sorcery is Without Equal in the West. I, I love that. This is HDA's blog, and HDA does a review of the Stygian Library by Emmy Allen, a.k.a. Cave Girl. And this is a highly regarded, um, oft-mentioned OSR adventure um, uh, on this like you know, weird library with a lot of random elements and, uh, it's kind of a, a location you can really base a campaign around or certainly a large segment of the campaign or have it be a recurring place the PCs visit. And, um, HDA does an excellent job walking you through it, letting you know what you're looking at. So if you've heard of that Stygian library and wanted to know more, or if you've never heard of it and want to uh, get a really good idea of what you would be purchasing. You can go over to terriblesorcery.blogspot.com and check that out. Excellent review. Um, HGA is a really talented writer. Um, I'd like to read more uh, reviews and stuff from them. So I like it very much. Uh, you know, a good review really lets you know what you're getting, you know? I don't care if it's good or bad or if i can see where someone's biased or whatever it is i like to get an idea of what i'm what i would be purchasing and that's really what you, i got with this so i thought it was excellent it gives you just enough detail um to let you make an informed decision so over at um gabor lux aka milan's blog beyond fomelhow.blogspot.com you know another thing i like about reviews is when they're by someone whose opinion i trust and um given gabor's excellent you know one of the best zines osr zines out there right now echoes from fomelhow um when gabor 
um, says that something is cool, I tend to trust their word. And they do a review of The Forgotten Grottoes of the Sea Lords, which is the latest adventure in the long-running Advanced Adventures series of modules for Osric. And this is brand new by Keith Sloan for 6th to 8th level. It's got this, uh, I guess it's a dragon turtle, if not a dragon turtle, this massive snapping turtle on the cover attacking the PCs on this rocky beach. The cover itself is just like, oh yeah, let me let me at it. And uh, it's a really positive review. It looks uh, looks like a really a, a winner. You know, the market is so flooded with with modules, it can be really hard to know what to look at, what to buy, what to check out. But um, that's one of the reasons I appreciate uh, Gabor's reviews because I know I can tend to trust um, their opinion. Um, speaking of modules that you can, you know, guarantee are going to be good. <laughs> I'm such a fan of the Merciless Merchants, Malrex and the and the other uh, um, merchants. Um, I did a whole blog post recently on uh, how they're kind of, I was talking about with Jim Johnson, they're, the Merciless Merchants are kind of some underrated or just unknown talents working in the osr or just old school games and um, bryce put up a review of forgotten shrine of the savior this is a, a free um adventure from malrex I, i'm back in malrex's uh patreon and uh love what they're doing and this one is really cool and i love the art from malrex's uh, stepdaughter it looks like <laughs> so i love that and uh, it's a positive review i mean you know bryce will always um, be able to find something to criticize, but that, that is okay. Um, uh, that's, uh, Bryce's style and that's why Bryce is highly regarded because they're honest and they don't always just try to be sweet to everybody. So, um, but it's overall positive, like, uh, Bryce has done for many of the, um, Merciless Merchants, uh, products. So this is one that I can just guarantee is cool. Uh, just seeing the word Malrex on it. I'm like, yeah, that's good. So go over to 10footpole.org and check out that review for Forgotten Shrine of the Savior. Lots of really awesome retrospectives this week. In fact, I was thinking about cutting some of them out, but then I was like, nah, it's all too good. So just going to keep on moving. Um, I mentioned DM David at dmdavid.com last week doing uh, like the top 10 greatest D&D adventures since 1985. And they've got, uh, as of this um, recording, five, four, and three up. At number five, they've got, uh, and these all have accompanying blog posts if you want to check out more like on, on the modules. But at number five, they've got uh, Monty Cook's Dead Gods for Planescape from 2nd Edition AD&D. And that's one that I've never run or played. Can't really comment on it, but I do see it get mentioned as being having an innovative kind of uh, plot structure and stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, Dead Gods at number five. The other two I have run, uh, Curse of Straw, they've got number four. Uh, you know, it's not my favorite 5e. I, I ran it. There, obviously, I love the Ravenloft, the castle at the end. I thought the Death House intro was was awesome. And then there are a few things, you know, in the middle that I kind of liked. But overall, I was not a huge fan of the module myself, although it is consistently the highest rated, along with the next one that I mentioned, uh, of the 5e modules. I guess part of it is it's a lot of overland travel, travel and hex crawls, and I thought the the random tables were pretty weak. Um, I didn't like the whole wine subplot. Um, I don't like the, how they tried to introduce these DM NPCs. That's just generally something I don't like as a DM myself. You know, playing these uh, you know helper character sort of deals, 
And then uh, the way they did Morden Canaan is un unforgivable. Um, they made Morden Canaan into, you know, Morden Canaan should have, you know, mopped the, they just shouldn't have put Morden Canaan in the, um, in the module. <laughs> One of the most powerful mages in, in all of Greyhawk. Uh, can't beat Strahd. Yeah. Um, and then Morden Canaan even had a, like an army of peasants with him and somehow ends up, uh, you know, you know, like a mindless, um, I don't know. I, I think Chris Perkins was the main writer on Curse of Strahd. Maybe Chris, maybe Chris has something against Greyhawk, you know? No, I'm just kidding. I don't think that's the case, but it should have just picked, uh, some random mage and not made it more in canon. That's not the only reason I didn't like it though. There were times where I just was like, oh, should we keep playing this or should I just stop? And, but I fought through it because they were enjoying it and I'm glad we finished it. It was fun. Like I said, but wouldn't be in my top 10 of anything, put it that way. However, the number three, Lost Mine of Fandelver from the uh, the starter set. Now that is great. And that's Richard Baker who came up a few weeks ago talking about Birthright and everything. Really, really great module. Um, great intro to the game. Um, it's just awesome. So that's one that probably um, most people into 5e have, have taken a look at by now. And uh, uh, it's uh, pretty universally well regarded. So that's what uh, David's got up so far. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the number two and number one are. I think David's done a really good job of jumping around the additions and everything. But there's a lot more good stuff back in the first edition. And a lot of modules that haven't come up yet. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see um, what makes those top two spots. Um, all right, so next, over at rollingboxcars.com. I've been mentioning them a lot. Uh, but they, they, they're doing great work. And they, they bring up some really interesting... Um, retrospectives on things and this is from Stephen Panisi uh, blogging over there talking about the Fantastic Planet movie and uh, this was like an illustrated French movie from the early 70s that's uh, very surreal and I remember this the reason this one really stands out in my mind is because there's a bar back in my college days um, called the Velvet Elvis here in Athens Georgia and me and my friends we were all that was where that was our spot the Velvet Elvis and they'd always have either this or Tetsuo, the Iron Man, you know, playing on the TVs. They wouldn't have the music up, uh, or they wouldn't have the sound going, but these would always be on the TVs. So you just have this weird, surreal, you know, giants and stuff going on while you're in there. And um, uh, a really, you know, unique um, movie that, you know, won some awards and, and everything and kind of an allegorical sort of thing. And uh, something I really appreciate about this, after they go through the movie and the plot and talking a little bit about the history behind it, they also uh, Stephen also talks about using it in gaming and using some of those surreal, um, odd elements from the uh, from the Fantastic Planet movie, and um, you know as gaming things. And it's almost like something you'd imagine from Yellow Submarine or something like that. You know, like the winged borer and the blue grub bitters and. Uh, the dew crystals, so it, it's got a gaming element to this too, not just um, not just you know a reminiscence. So go over to rollingboxcars.com and check out that post. Uh, late night TV inspiration, Fantastic Planet. Uh, it's fantastic. Speaking of cool stuff from the 70s and 80s and illustrations and cartoons and everything, Heavy Metal Magazine. How about that? Over at Blackgate.com, uh, the golden age of science fiction, heavy metal. Yep, they're talking about heavy metal magazine now. I remember just 
being really young and being fascinated by the covers for this. And in some places, you know, they wouldn't let, you know, young folks get their hands on it. But uh, I'd try to get my hands on it, look through it, look at some of the, the cool um, art in there. And uh, this talks in some detail, just enough detail about Heavy Metal Magazine with a bunch of the covers from it. So I know some of the listeners out there were into Heavy Metal Magazine. So uh, go over to blackgate.com and check out that Golden Age of Science Fiction Heavy Metal Retrospective. Really cool. Then this was neat too. At the Against the Wicked City blog, udan-adan.blogspot.com. This is... Joseph Manola's blog. I've mentioned their blog before. They do a retrospective on the game Mutant Chronicles that I just knew about it being, I guess, Modifius having um, the Mutant Chronicles game, and I just kind of knew that it's like the 2D20 system that a lot of their games use. At least that's what I think I know. Um, But they talk about the origins for it. It was actually... um, originally kind of came out from a a Swedish company, Target Games, that did Cult. Now, I am familiar with Cult, but I didn't know that they, you know, I didn't know all this history behind Mutant Chronicles and everything, or really anything about the game. So I found this a fascinating read. It's um, So if you want to read about Mutant Chronicles, how it came to be, um, a little bit about the setting and the different companies that have handled it and, and how it's, you know, moved through time, and kind of change from uh, maybe like a miniatures game into a role-playing game and stuff like that. Really interesting stuff. So close and yet so far, the story of Mutant Chronicles over at the Against the Wicked City blog, udan-adan.blogspot.com. All right, Thule's Paradise. Thule'sParadise.blogspot.com. They did an interview with Mark Akers, and Mark Akers was one of the designers of the Sandman game. And this is one you may have remember seeing the the, the peculiar eye-catching um, artwork and uh, advertisements in Dragon Magazine. This came out on, from Pacesetter Games. And um, they do an interview with Mark Akers. Yeah, uh, did I already say that? Goodness gracious. So this was really cool. This is one that's been re-released now that Goblinoid Games... Um, has bought up, uh, acquired some of the pace setter properties like, uh, uh, and the mechanics. So they do like, you know, uh, crypt world. That's the chill old pace setter, chill mechanics. And, um, so this is interesting if you're into retro games and, and, and old school games and old oddities and, you know, weird, cool games that never, you know, made it big. And, uh, I thought uh, this was an interesting interview and it's got, uh, links where you can, um, find out more about Sandman and everything. So, um, and also, uh, go and purchase it for under $6 if you're interested. So if you want to check out more about Sandman, um, check out this interview from Mark Akers over at toolsparadise.blogspot.com. And finally on the retrospective front, uh, notes of the wandering alchemist, the wandering They've been doing these posts a year of 4E, and they're looking back at 4th edition. You know, some time has gone by, and I think people can look back at it with a, you know, less emotion and a kind of a critical eye and kind of look at some bits and pieces of it that might be worth taking a look at. And it talks about the ritual system in 4th edition. And the rituals was kind of a, a different manner of spell casting. You know, all the classes sort of had, you know, powers or actions that people, you know, some people didn't respond to the way it was kind of laid out, almost card-like or, um, 
um, or that it felt like the classes had the same sort of thing. But, uh, you know, a lot of those powers and all these abilities got ported straight into 5e. It's just they changed the formatting, and all of a sudden people like it. It's like, don't call it a... Don't call it an encounter power. Call it, you know, say they need to take a short rest. <laughs> you know, don't call it a healing surge. Call it hit dice. Much better, but I digress. But rituals are kind of a different way you can cast spells where they, they take longer to do and they work off a kind of a different mechanic. And it, it's interesting to, um, uh, to look at. They did kind of put the idea of a ritual into 5e where, you know, you take a little bit longer to cast it and it doesn't take a slot. But um, if you're interested in seeing how this, you know, the concept of rituals worked in 4th edition, um, it really is something you can port into other games. And, uh, and I think this is worth reading just as a kind of retrospective on different mechanics and different versions of D&D. So, whew! And now, a word from our sponsors. All right, time to roll on a few random tables. First, we're going over to unlawfulgames.blogspot.com D100 bottle things. Things that are in bottles. So first you try to roll what kind of bottle. And this is a gasogene. A gasogene. What is that? Oh, it's a late Victorian device for producing carbon carbonated water. I've seen one of these before. Weird. All right, so there's all these unique kind of um, containers and bottles and stuff, so that's cool. How much of it do we have? Whatever this is going to be. Uh, just a Jenny, three doses. And then it's a D100 table to see what is in. What is in my gas again, or gasogene? And what did I get? Beans. Kind of beans. <laughs> Extra musical. <laughs> it feels like he's leading me all this way for a punchline. Oh my gosh. Lawful neutral. D100 bottled things. This is a ton of stuff here, y'all. I know that I'm just kind of, this hump day's running so long. I, I'd roll on this a bunch of more times. You should check, check this out. It's got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of uniqueness. It looks like a bunch of links to other sites, too. For, um, for what's in there. Heck, this is worth looking at just for all the different types of containers. Skullboy rolls the dice. Blogspot.com put up a cool post. It's called uh, downtime downtime thieving, and it's like a downtime system for thieves to use if they want to, you know, instead of carousing, go try to pull off some heist or whatever. And so you roll and try to see if they succeed on the heist, and if they don't, something bad happens. So. Let's see if I succeed. Let's try some checks here. Well, that's, that would be one success, and that would be a fail. So let's see what happens to my thief after presumably getting caught. Um, I pulled off the job, but another thief was watching me from the shadows and mugged me on my way back to secure the loot. I lose all the loot and all the stuff I was carrying. Oh something else bad that can happen to me while I got caught. Uh, the gold I stole was marked, so it's a 50% loss to launder it. So you get the idea there. Kind of a carousing table, carousing-ish sort of thing for downtime for thieves. They can push their luck and try to 
pull off some kind of job, and uh, if they don't make it, then something bad happens. Then uh, Elf Maids and Octopi put up a great post, the Gamma Age Urban Location Key. And this is kind of for use with post-apocalyptic games. First you roll a location, and then you roll on another table to see what's going on at that location. So, first, wandering the, the irradiated wasteland, they end up near a bunker, underground shelter complexes. And then I go over to the bunker table and look at what's going on there. The D10. So at the bunker, there's a fortified bunker with hostile survivalists. They're unwelcoming to strangers and very independent. So, don't want to happen upon that bunker. What's another location I could try to get to? A settlement, mostly humble farming communities. I'm going to roll on the settlement table. Fenced village with militia, farming, and some other source of income. So if you look at this as a whole, this post, you could really just use this and run a post-apocalyptic game completely by itself. I mean, you could generate, you know, hex after hex or area after area with tons of hooks. And what's what's insult to injury for those of us that lack Chris Tam's uh, create creativity on these? Chris mentions. Um, uh, probably need a D10 subtable for each. And I was just like, what? <laughs> There's already, you know, a hundred things here. And it's like, probably need a D10 subtable, subtable for each. Just throws that in there. It's just like, ah, God, too much, too much creativity. It's astounding what Chris Tam does at elfmazeandoctopi.blogspot.com. And then uh, I like this post over at sheepandsorcery.blogspot.com. Uh, no XP, take monster drugs instead. So this is, a, you know, you you come back into town and, and you want to take some literal monster drugs, stuff based on, uh, you know, drugs, uh, you know, synthesized from monsters or whatever. So let's roll on a couple of these. It's a D8. The Doppelganger Bloodweed. Regular pipe weed soaked in doppelganger blood. You smoke this to gain the ability to assume the face of someone so long as you have a sample of their DNA. And uh, if you get addicted to it, then the memories of people you have transformed in begin to plague you. And um, you run a chance of, of starting to believe that you're the person you transformed into. Let's look at one more of these. These are really kind of creative. Over at sheepandsorcery.blogspot.com. What's another, another one? Uh, the Myconid Shrooms. Eat some of these shrooms to expand your consciousness, gaining a cleric spell slot. But as you uh, start to maybe run the risk of getting the side effects, the first side effects addiction, and then the transcendent visions of the shrooms begin to eat, eat away at your logical reasoning, causing you to lose intelligence permanently. And you also start to grow mushrooms from your body. <laughs> you know, I, these random tables every week, it's, 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 uh, I love it. So I, I hope you all go and check these out, because these were all really good this week. The D100 bottle things at unlawfulgames.blogspot.com. That one I could have spent a lot more time on. I just know how... Slow on moving through today, but that's got a D100 bottled things. I mean, a hundred different things. Skullboy rolls the dice, talking about that downtime thieving idea. Uh, Elf maids and octopi. I mean, I'm telling you, just can take that and you can basically run a post-apocalyptic game with just that one post and you know whatever mechanics you want to use as far as the classes and all that. That's astounding how much uh, you can get out of that one post, and then. Take some monster drugs over at sheepandsorcery.blogspot.com. 
con season is in full swing. And just like I did when Gary Con happened, I put up some posts from uh, folks that went to some conventions. Um, Frugal GM was at North Texas RPG Con, which is like really focused uh, mainly on you know, classic old school games. They put up uh, five different p posts, uh, you know, like a report of their, their trip there with a bunch of images and stuff. I'd really like to go to North Texas RPG Con, and that might be one that's uh, easier to manage, it seems like, maybe than Gary Con is these days. Uh, maybe not as fabled you know, location and all that, but at least you can get a hotel room. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I was talking earlier about, you know, how a lot of games don't get played, but that's one reason to go to a con, because uh, you get to play these these older games that uh, never see the table, or some newer games. And as for the newer games, I went to oldscouserroleplaying.com, uh, and they went to the UK Games Expo, you know. It's gotten, well, you know, bad press from the one incident, but, uh, you know, Thousands of people had a great time and um, and didn't have that happen at their table. Uh, but um, they played uh, Barbarians of Lemuria. They played Ironsworn, a bunch of games you don't really you know see get, uh, people running. And they put up a lot of uh, images and um, uh, links to different things and stuff. Looks like they had a great time. So, you know, if you're like me and you didn't... You, weren't able to go and you but you can just kind of like i say live vicariously through some of these folks that do with some of these uh posts from people that went to these cons looks like a great time i'm glad they had a good time and got back safe you know speaking of free stuff i was talking about earlier there were a lot of awesome free things freebies and and then just game hacks and stuff that really displays that diy uh non-commercial spirit of the blog scene you know and uh there just happened to just be a bunch this week just awesome stuff or just people are sharing them you know maybe it does get their name out there and some of them do have uh you know pay you know products you can pay for and buy but you see a little bit of what they do it gives you an idea if you want to try to check out more of their products and if not you got something cool for free just a, a, something cool to got shared with you so over at Goatman's Goblet, goatmansgoblet.com, Brian Richmond's blog, put up an awesome house rules document, Knave's Guide to Eberron. So this is porting the D&D &D setting Eberron uh, and using uh, Ben Milton's Knave's, Knave rules, you know, kind of uh, um, streamlined, um, simple rules. Well, I mean, I say simple, but, you know, presented in a simple way, but you can get a lot of play out of them. And uh, so this is looks killer. Thank you, Brian, for that awesome free... Knave's Guide to Eberron, awesome. And Hunter over at DIY and Dragons put up this cool post called Investigations in DCC. If you're into Dungeons Crawl Classics or um, similar, you know, OSR games in general, you can check this out because they're they mentioned that they're going to be taking over as the head writer for the Crawl Thulu zine that I mentioned a few weeks ago. And they started talking about how to conduct investigations in DCC, how to handle skills and clues. It's a long post, but very interesting. A lot of thought went into this, and you can see Anne's um, thought process putting this together. Um, so, really cool. So, kind of porting the investigation, I ideas of investigation, that kind of stuff into DCC. So, well worth a look if you're into that game. Shane Ward, Gilligan's Isle of ADD. Legendary Anchorite blogs over at three toadstools.blogspot.com. That's with the number three. 
uh, put up a post, Weird Wayfaring, a crowdsourced hex crawl. I completely missed this on MeWe, but uh, Shane had posted this, uh, kind of like the old days of Google+, Plus, where everybody kind of chips in some ideas and makes something out of it. And so this is a, another free PDF you can download. The Outlands, Beyond Civilized Society. Uh, weird, you know, weird hex crawl that uh, a bunch of people jumped in on. I see Scott Malthouse, Goblin's Henchman, uh, Tim Schwartz, Matt Jackson, J.E. Shields, a bunch of anchorites and stuff on this. So this is awesome and free. <sighs> stop, you know, stop ruining the role-playing game industry, you guys. <laughs> and then at lizardmandiaries.blogspot.com. Uh, yeah, so this is Michael Raston's blog. Michael Raston does some cool stuff with their Infinigrad setting. And this um, is a free uh, one-page suburb and dungeon, like a free you know one-page dungeon, um, what you might see in the one-page dungeon contest, that kind of thing, that ties into their Infinigrad setting. I actually uh, reviewed one of their um, Infinigrad products a while back, a bunch of awesome random tables, really cool stuff. Thank you, Michael, for putting this up over at lizardmandiaries.blogspot.com. The Ashen Temple and the Pit House, one-page suburb and dungeon. Then, let's see. Oh, yeah, Nate Treem over at the Highland Paranormal Society, natetream.com. Uh, and again, all these links I'm talking about, you can find them easily over at the Thought Eater blog. They put up Wander, a business card RPG. So this is a game that is just on a front and back of a business card called Wander. And it's awesome. Uh, Nate, Nate's got great ideas, but then also great graphic design and, and create, you know, creativity. And so check out Wander, the business card RPG. How awesome is that? Uh, I put up an image, but you need to go over there and check this out. And then finally on the hacks and freebie front uh, over at dragons.ie, I mentioned their blog just last week, uh, Desks and Dragons, put up a post, rewriting the BX spell list, first level. I loved this. They're taking the BX spells and completely reflavoring them. So, um, Remove Fear becomes Battle Hymn, where uh, the caster channels their magic into sound to influence a battle, and instead of Remove Fear, it's flavored as Battle Hymn. And they do it for all the first level. Um, this is so awesome. Um, I, I thought this was so creative. And, um, so if you want to see, this would be great. You could use in, in in a game if you want to reflavor a spell or whatever. This really shows the magic of reflavoring. They take these uh, the the regular spells you're used to, and by reflavoring them, it changes into something completely different. Um, I, so I love this this uh, this post. And let's see if it's got their name on here. I think I ran into this last week where I didn't see their name. Yeah, I don't see a name to credit, but I will let them know I enjoyed it. So, rewriting the BX spell list, first level, um, uh, really creative. So, oh, just to review on that, yeah, we've got the Knaves Hack to e Knaves Hack to Eberron, Investigation Rules for Dungeon Crawl Classics, the Weird Wayfaring Hex Crawl, the Ash and Tumble Pit House One Page Dungeon, a, a business card RPG. <laughs> And a complete uh, rewritten spell list for BX. And this is all just the last week. How awesome are the blogs, you know? I mean, think about this. I do this show every week. And it's like, every week. Every week this stuff is out. I mean, if you just take your eye off it, you, you, you know, and, and next week, it'll be the same thing. It'll be much more awesome stuff. 
It never ceases to amaze me. It really does not. Love doing this show. <laughs> a couple of quick miscellaneous things before we get to the final topic. Um, at Wandering Gamist, wanderinggamist.blogspot.com, just only known as John, I mentioned their blog a while back when they had gone to like a hiking seminar and it gave them ideas for like hex crawls or wilderness travel. Well, now they've got another one up called Hike Notes, Dungeon Ness. And they had hiked the Dungeness Spit, which is kind of like a beach formation off the coast of Washington. And they go into some ideas for stuff for games that was inspired by their walk on the Dungeness Spit. So um, really cool. I, I like John's writing and, and cool ideas there. So, um, you know, it's one thing to just be walking on the beach or walk, you know, you're walking on a beach. You know, there's not a lot of flavor there, but when you start talking about the poison skin newts of the forest or kelp anchors and crab swarms and sea anemones the size of a Coke can and all this kind of stuff. It really adds to the flavor. So I enjoyed that post a lot. Hike notes, dungeon nests over at wandering gamist.blogspot.com at four color shadows.blogspot.com. Um, it's kind of like a comic book related post, uh, blog and they put up a, a, some scans of a comic book that they they drew with a just blue ballpoint pen actually and i love this because it reminded me of when i was little and i uh i drew a um my own comic one time and i wish i still had it i drew you know i, I think i was inspired by well i know i was inspired by comics but i think i was you know like electric company at that time i like spider-man at the end and everything and it wasn't a spider-man comic but i made up my own I wish my mom or whatever kept it. That was when I was really young when I did that. Uh, it's just a vague memory. <clears throat> but I like seeing this just DIY scans of this comic. This person drew, what's their name? Book Steve. Book Steve over at Four Color Shadows. And if you're into comic books and stuff, it's a great blog to follow. So check that out. It had that DIY kind of old school spirit that I like. Math Man is the, uh, is the comic. And they did it, yeah. So go check that out. Reminded me of my youth. And then finally, back to Jack Shear. You know, Jack I talked about last week the tales of the grotesque and dungeon-esque. They put up a post, Japanese Song of Ice and Fire, and it's cover art from the, uh, you know, Game of Thrones books in Japan. And the covers are awesome. 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 Completely adds this whole different flavor. It almost reminded me of like Jadaworski or, you know, the, like some of the Dune sketches almost in some ways. It's kind of decadent weirdness. And uh, um, anyway, I put up a couple where I guess one's uh, Tyrion Lannister, uh, the, the way they envisioned him. And it's, it's unbelievable. You go over there and look at these. And, you know, I know it's not maybe exactly gaming related, but yeah, there are. There is a Song of Ice and Fire RPG and then a Game of Thrones, uh, I guess like a D20 Game of Thrones thing. I think the Song of Ice and Fire is like a Green Ronin pre-age system thing. Not too familiar with them. But I bet they they wish that those games had come out a few years later. <laughs> but I love these. Um, these covers are unbelievable. And with Game of Thrones just ending recently, I think people would like to go check them out. All right, so final segment tonight, and uh, this one, <clears throat> this is nothing, nothing controversial about this. I, and I don't try to court controversy or anything. Sometimes just topics come up, and you know, I just call it like I see it and everything. But um, 
this shouldn't be controversial, but it, it was a kind of surprise to me, I would say. Um, over at uh, Delta's D&D Hotspot, deltasdnd.blogspot.com, they put up a post, and uh, Delta's been doing this a long time, still comes up with awesome ideas, but this is called Prep Time Poll Results. And they're talking about, they had done this poll over at the Facebook AD&D group. Now, I'm sure it's not scientific, or someone would say the methodology, or the something about the sample size or whatever, but anyways, 310 people, and they asked them, how much time, how much prep time do you take before a single game session? And the options were hours, days, minutes, months, weeks, none. And, you know, I'm not buying too many people spending months, um, although more people said they spent months preparing for a single session than no time spent, um, spent which surprised me, but... But if you look at the middle, you know, you look at the main responses. You know, for myself, I barely spend any time prepping. It's minutes. Um, even if I'm running a published module. Um, and that's just, you know, my style, what I like about it. A lot of random elements, a lot of, um, you know, play to see what happens. And part of it is one of the main, you know, the hugest, biggest campaign I ran, I guess, after having a long gap in my gaming, I did a lot of prep for it. I had this whole plot of, you know, there were going to be five items I had to find to put together and all this intrigue and all these different locations, this whole continent and everything. <laughs> we never used any of it, you know what I mean? So one of the first lessons I taught myself really was to not to over-prepare. Because I don't particularly... I guess I've designed my own campaign worlds and stuff for later campaigns and everything, but it's not my favorite thing about it. I really prefer the just random emergent play and improvisation and everything, and that's one of the reasons I like old school D&D. It's so easy to do it with. So I imagined that most people would be like me and just spend a few minutes, you know, maybe 30 minutes max. I'm more like a 15, 20-minute person when it comes down to it. Um, but I was surprised that, you know, only 11% of people said minutes, 51% said hours, and then 25% said days. So 76% of the people polled said they spent hours or days preparing for a single session. And it just shocked me, because like I said, I, I thought I would be the majority, but I'm the outlier. And I'm just thinking about it. You know, a lot of people just really enjoy that world building like I think some people get into that as much as they do the actual play of the game I know that there's lots of anchorites Tim Schwartz Jason Hobbs and others that have really spent a lot of time developing their campaign worlds and probably know every blade of grass and everything and and can still you know obviously sandbox within that they just know the campaign world and what's going on everywhere and everything when um, you know it was just interesting to me because like I said, I thought I'd be in the majority. I thought most people were like me, not doing much prep at all for these games. And and it's not that way. And it reminded me of a post that I put up a while back, um, back in 2015, called Prep is for Ninnies, Froth Sandbox Toolkit. And I put up a, a link to this along with the Delta post. And it was to me talking about um, a toolkit I could use for OD&D sandboxes, which, where I could just sit down and run with literally no prep, like none at all. And it's got this like Judges Guild Wilderlands um, hex 
um, table compilation thing I found called Wilderness Explorer Revised. You can search around for that and find it. Cities by Chaosium, which was a, a later version of an earlier Medchemia Press book. It's got excellent, excellent city tables. Excellent. Um, OD&D, preferably a reformatted version, or Iron Falcon. Hex paper, graph paper, character sheets, and then the DMG. And then optionally, uh, the ready ref sheets from Judges Guild, you know, for extra oomph. Um, but uh, honestly, you wouldn't need the ready ref sheets. If you just had the rest, the AD, for one EDMG, gotta have it. One EDMG, OD&D, hex paper, character sheets, cities, and the Wilderness Hexplore revised tables. You can sit down and just say go and have an awesome time. And uh, for me, that's fun. It's just interesting to see that I'm in the, you know, at least on those polled, I'm in the minority. Uh, most people, you know, spend a lot of time prepping and obviously enjoy it. So it made me just think, you know, you don't know. My perception was way off, I guess, what I'm saying on that. Uh, and so I thought uh, not necessarily ha um, how you prep or whatever, but if anyone wanted to comment on how much time they spend prepping or what their methodology is or just anything about how you prep for games, I'd be in interested to continue hearing you know, how wrong I was in my assumptions. <laughs> it's good to have your assumptions challenged and com or completely throttled from time to time. And um, like I said, I, uh, I I just imagine that most people didn't do much prep and that that was an attraction of the old school games to them. Whereas um, it's more like it's just that way to me, you know, like 10% of the people. So anyway, that's what I was thinking about for this week. If you want to call in and talk about... Uh, how much time you spend prepping or and or, or, or and why you're that way or and uh, anything like that i'd love to hear about it and put you on the show for next week all right probably a record breaker that was a long one but we had a lot of good call-ins to get to and a lot of good material i mean i look back at the material for this week and just like so many other weeks it's astounding how awesome it is so i hope you enjoyed it i want to thank you for listening i've noticed my listens have uh kind of slowly been creeping up over the last couple of weeks. So whether you're a longtime listener or uh, you're just now starting to check the shows out and everything, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. It really helps motivate me to keep up with this kind of schedule I've put out for myself. Sometimes it can be a little bit challenging, but I really do enjoy doing it. And um, it, it helps to know that people, other people are enjoying it and checking it out. So thank you for that. Huge thank you to all the folks calling in on the shows. You you know you make the shows better, so please uh, continue to use the Anchor Voice message system or email me at frostsoftfrothsof at gmail.com or use the uh, contact form on the Thought Eater blog, frostsoftdnd.blogspot.com. Um, something I would add, um, you know, I always thank my patrons backing me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. It's only a dollar a month if you like the stuff I'm doing. I'm very thankful for the, for the folks that do back me there. But uh, if that's not something that you're interested in doing, you know, if you're listening on like something like Apple Podcasts, I know I get some listeners there where it's got a rating system and you enjoy what you're hearing, I would never tell you to vote a different, you know, rank me something you don't believe in. But if you like it and want to um, leave a ranking, that, uh, that would be great. Um, also, if you have a blog and haven't added me to your blog role, um, you know, that's a great way to 
improve my visibility and help me find more listeners, more people to check it out. And if for some reason I'm missing yours, let me know. So I'll slap it right on the old read or die blog roll. And uh, the other thing I would ask is you just tell a friend about it. You know, if, if I have a friend tell me about something, a cool game or anything like that, I'm, I'm likely to check it out. So if this is something you enjoy, you want to turn one of your friends on to it, that would be awesome. Next thing you'll hear from me is, will be a five-minute Friday. Logan, drop that beat. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade Zeroing in on your mental trade Gonna help you escape from the grind Thought eater gonna blow your mind